0: Hello, I have an invitation to tea with the Queen.
1: Yes, Emma's been expecting you. Please come in.
0: I think that we just massively underestimate, especially as women, our own capability and awesomeness. And it's changed. It's changed my life completely, yeah. Sometimes I think you go through this journey as a business owner and think you're a bit crazy. You're like, who am I to have this dream? Well, I just think women are hard on themselves.
1: I wish I had been more confident in what I was capable of. But I feel like you do what feels right for you, and that's going to be always on brand.
0: Women, our natural inclination is to be pleasers and to put other people before self. I've never had a tea with the Queen before, and this is such a pleasure. (laughs) Hello, I'm Emma McQueen. And welcome to Tea with the Queen. The hopes and expectations among people in the workforce these days have changed significantly. Employees are more in tune with other priorities. A work-life balance, having a side hustle and other goals that might be out of whack from the company they work for. Businesses need to understand what motivates their employees and allow for some flexibility. Otherwise, they're going to find it hard to hire and keep top talent especially now when there is so much demand for skilled workers. Today, I chat with Julia O'Reilly. Julia is a people and culture consultant who helps big corporates and mid-sized companies with transformational change. And things are a-changing more than ever. And so it's time to sit down with Julia this episode and share with you her thoughts on the world of HR. Hi Julia, welcome to Tea with the Queen. Hey Em, so great to be
1: here. Oh, it's so
0: good to have you here. A little bit nervous, but excited. Don't be (laughs) nervous, you'll be fine. Hey, tell us, you're a ProSci Certified Change Practitioner. What does that mean and what do you do?
1: Yeah, ProSci is a change management methodology that is essentially used to move people through a change process effectively. So often change management is sort of combined with project management to get people to a particular outcome or new way of doing something effectively. So the methodology can really be applied to anything, any kind of change, going from something where we are now to where we want to be and supporting people to get there in a positive way.
0: Nice. I like it. And for our audience listening, ProSci – is spelt P-R-O-S-C-I. So you could say proceed if you didn't know any different.
1: It's always one. I think people stumble over. I think the first time I saw it, I didn't know how to say it, and lots of people say "prosky." Oh, prosky. I would say "prosky" too. Yes. Yeah. Through the accreditation process, they um tell us that it is "prosci." Prosci. Hey,
0: before you started out on your own, you worked for a range of big employers like Pacific Brands, Aussie Farmers Direct, a hospital. What were some of the biggest issues you saw in those places? Like without naming names. Yeah. <laughs>
1: If I think kind of across all the different organisations that I've worked for, there's um, probably one theme that comes to mind and if you've ever worked with me, you probably hear me bang on about alignment a lot.
0: (laughs) I mean, I I work with you in a different capacity and I still hear you bang on about alignment a lot.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think from a people perspective, alignment is a really big driver of, call it people, issues or um, concerns or lack of performance Um, and so that could be lack of alignment between two individuals in a team around what their role is and their role clarity creating tension. It could be two teams with different directions or different priorities pulling in different directions. It could be lack of a strategic direction in terms of where people think we're going. So there's this common theme that sits under a lot of people challenges or issues that all stems back to alignment. So if we can kind of get that alignment right at the start, it really sets us up for success.
0: Do you know what I love about working with you, Julia? Julia? I love the fact that I used to be in HR, I used to be a HR director, and you and I used to kind of work in the same circles, um, move in the same circles and I understand all the language <laughs> <laughs> from HR to people and culture, to change, to project management to alignment, all that kind of stuff. I'm curious though, you've been on your own for a little while now. is small business different? So is are the organizations because you are now on your own but you're working with organizations.
1: Does it more or less have the same people challenges, do you think? Yeah, that's actually a really interesting question. I think the answer is yes and no. So I think they have similar people challenges or the same types of challenges, but they manifest differently. And I think they impact the organisation differently. So things like alignment is still a problem. Some of the same people challenges come up. But when you've got a smaller organisation, you've got less people generally, which means there's less sort of space for poor people practices or cultural issues to be deflected. You've got, you know, less kind of cogs in the machine that make it happen and the people in the organisation are often closer to the customer. Every individual person often has a greater impact, so your people problems can often have a bigger impact from both a positive and a negative perspective on the organisation. So while some of them are similar, I think they have different impacts and manifest in different ways.
0: Yeah, so there's nowhere to hide in a smaller business. Is totally, there? really, yep. like everyone's and needs to pull their own weight, or they need to get out of the way.
1: Yep, there's less room for people issues.
0: <laughs> <laughs> less room for, even though there are people issues, there's less room for them. I suppose that's uh, interesting because if you have a smaller team, you really notice if someone's not lifting their weight. But I also know smaller businesses struggle to hire well or hire slowly and fire quickly. Do you feel like that's true?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think sometimes their recruitment processes and things might not be as mature or they might not have the resources and things to put into them that larger organisations do. And so sometimes those processes could be slow or drawn out you know, and finding quality people. I think it's a different kind of hire as well, people that like to work in big business and people that like to work in small business. So, yeah, while there's some similar similarities, it is just different.
0: Yeah, and I ran a session for a local council here in Melbourne and one of the issues that kept coming up was staffing issues. There's a big staffing issue right now. How are businesses that you're working with navigating that?
1: It's really interesting. Like ultimately, organisations are people, you know, even if you're a product-based business, you can't do anything unless you've got people. Like organisations are made up of people. So, you know, I always have a little bit of a chuckle when people talk about organisations in a context of not being people, because if there weren't any people, there is no organisation. You might have a product, but there's no business.
0: That's right.
1: (laughs) And, you know, staffing challenges, I think, can be lots of different things, whether they're issues, but recruitment and hiring the right staff has just been a huge kind of of flavour over the last couple of years. The talent market shifted significantly. People have different expectations. People are looking for side hustles, second jobs. There's, you know, what the workforce wants and needs in their life now is just different. And so if employers aren't able to tick those boxes, we're finding that people are being very picky with where they want to work. They're no longer happy to put up with kind of work ruling their life and organizing their life around work. It's really flipped that people are owning their their life and the lifestyle that they want to have and work needs to fit in with that.
0: I'm so here for that. I think that COVID, if there is a silver lining at all around COVID, it's about corporate or Australia need to sit up and take notice of what their employees want now. Whereas previously it didn't feel like that, felt like corporate had all the power and then it kind of shifted. And I'm wondering where it will kind of land. It's like a pendulum, right? We've gone from one extreme to the other. And I'm like, where's that thing going to land? But I totally agree with you. I think people are realizing that work is not be all and end all. Right,
1: absolutely. That you know, there's a balance between life and money and work, and I think you know people, in some way, were very driven by a kind of career and the financial side of how much am I going to get paid in that role, and people are really deprioritizing that and prioritizing the other aspects. And we, I think we are seeing it, so it very much swung one way over COVID. And I think in some industries, we're seeing it come back a little bit now. There are some un- industries where there's, a, you know, a lot of talent in the market, but it's, you know, it's not consistent. You know, we've seen lots of redundancies and layoffs with tough times in certain industries. And so some of those industries, there's lots of people in the market and they're, you know, the higher salary expectations and, you know, working conditions that they were sort of demanding the power is going back a little bit towards the organisation, so I, it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next couple of years. Because I think it will it will settle, but it's still, as you say, it's still swinging.
0: <laughs> yeah, still swinging. Tell me, who's your main target audience? Who do you mainly deal with? Who are your clients? What type of industries?
1: I sort of have two groups of clients. Industry is a good question, but <laughs> think about industry. I actually work across lots of different industries. In my working career, before I was consulting, I worked across quite a few different sectors. I've worked in health, I've worked in property, I've worked in retail, I've worked in tech, e-commerce, I've worked for some universities. So, when you're in people and culture, if you can learn an industry quickly, people are people wherever you go. So if you can learn the commercial context relatively quickly, which I've been able to do, I've been able to sort of move across industries quite quickly. In terms of types of organisations, I have two distinct groups. One that's big corporates who are looking at that I guess, strategic people, projects and initiatives, usually some type of change or transformation project, could be a restructure, a merger, some kind of digital transformation. I do a lot of work in that space, culture change, team effectiveness, ways of working. Usually we need to go from something to something else. The other group of clients that I have are probably... Call it medium sized businesses. They've probably got somewhere between 50 and 200 employees. They need some generalist end to end people and culture support, and I tend to work with them as sort of an outsourced HR director. They want that people strategy, but they don't necessarily need someone in their organisation in a full-time capacity. They want the big thinking, but it's hard to find that type of resource within the budget they've got. And I think it's also
0: – i don't know correct me if I'm wrong – you don't need to necessarily think strategic every single day in a people and culture function – but you need to have a strategic plan of some sort. So do they ask you to come in and sort their strategic plan out and then work through how you're going to implement it? Is that how it
1: works? Sometimes. Absolutely. And I, That's exactly what happens. They need that sort of strategic plan, which gives them the the roadmap and the plan to deliver on what they need to deliver. And then they might have an internal resource or team or the leadership team do it to actually implement that plan. So for some clients, I come in and do that strategic planning piece and I have a sort of a HR strategy and review process that I take them through. I've built a framework around it now. And so we use all of those elements in considering what's their sort of, what's their organisational strategy? What's their current maturity from a people and culture practices perspective? Where is the best sort of return on investment? So for some organisations, their key thing is that they need to attract and recruit the right people. For other organisations, it's about culture change and team development. So we work out what is the, I guess, the biggest return on investment for them based on their strategic goals and where their organisation is going and what are the people, initiatives and program of work that we need to deliver to deliver on that.
0: So when people call you and say, Jodie, can you come in and do something for us, what's normally their pain point?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. There's probably a few different ones. Usually, so for the that sort of more medium-sized business, something will be impacting their performance. So they might say, our team engagement's not great. We've got high turnover. There's unrest in the team. We're hearing lots of noise. We're not sure what's causing it or our profitability is down. We're not hitting the sales targets. We're missing project milestones. So something's not working from an organizational performance perspective. And You know, 99% of the time, that's a people problem. (laughs) It's either engagement, culture, leadership. It's something to do with our people. So often they haven't got their finger on what is the challenge, but they've got some type of performance issue that they are making the assumption it's due to something to do with their people. Yeah, right. Well, the latest
0: statistics out of Gallup Strengths say that 24% of the population are engaged. (laughs) Which means seventy six percent of the population are not engaged. Which it's means pretty that staggering. It's staggering, right? When I say those stats, do those stats make sense to you. Are you sitting there going, "Yeah, that makes perfect sense."
1: Yeah, I think it, you know. There's of course there's variation and nuance between industries and organisations, and some industries are doing great, and others are not doing so good. But I think it is also this, as we we're talking before, this shift in expectations people have very different expectations of their employers now. And if those aren't being met and organisations aren't moving quick enough to meet those, people are disengaging. Um, You know, there was a lot of talk about sort of quiet quitting. And I think there's different views on are people actually, you know, quiet quitting or are we just readjusting expectations as to what, what normal looks like and what acceptable looks like? So I think we're, you know, very much in that sort of adjustment period of people still figuring out what does this look like? And actually, you know what, maybe the way that we measure engagement now is not the right right way to do it anymore. It's one of those things that I think lots of organisations measure engagement, but there is not one consistent way of doing it. So maybe we need to rethink how we measure engagement too.
0: Put the cat amongst the pigeons, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. I think... um, I think organizations need to start paying attention to their people. I think they need to think about, well, I don't know about you, but I see organizations and they almost say, well, we've got our strategic plan and. It's almost an afterthought that there's a people plan attached to the strategic plan in some instances. And you just I just think to myself, no wonder your people are disengaged. You're not even considering them when you're thinking through your strategic plan. Is that getting better, do you reckon?
1: Yeah, 100%. I think it's interesting. I think it is getting better, but I think it's not there yet. And like I said before, organizations are people so if you've got a strategic plan and you haven't got your people involved in that and your people plan to support that how do you think you're going to go about delivering it (laughs) if you've removed the people from the equation what are you going to do (laughs) it's just like it's not going to happen so that people plan is such a um, critical enabling factor to delivering on that organizational strategy and I think yeah organizations are getting better at it but I think it's still not there.
0: Oh man, we're really nerding out on people and culture today, aren't we? <laughs> I love it. When people engage you, do they know what they need? It's like when someone comes to me for coaching, normally they say, I need A, and I'm like, it's not A, it's probably B, C or D. Do they know what they need? And how do they start working with you to get a feel for whether or not you guys are a good fit?
1: Sometimes they think they know what they need. And as you said, sometimes they think they want A, but actually what they need to shift that is B. I would say 80% of the time, they don't know what they need. They come with a problem and say, we need help. right so then you very quickly move into a bit of a diagnostic and exploratory phase to say okay well what are the problems if these are the symptoms you're experiencing you know based on my experience and I think because I've been around the people and culture world for a little while I can be pretty quick at diagnosing what those possibilities might be and then we can get a bit more targeted on you know how do we explore those options to work out is it a b c or d
0: yeah
1: so that review piece that we were talking about earlier is a great way to do a real deep dive and diagnostic. And we do that with some organisations, but others we do a bit more of I call it lighter touch, or we have a bit more of a narrow focus because they've got a bit more clarity around where those challenges might be.
0: Yeah. And how have you transitioned yourself? How many years have you been in business for yourself now?
1: Just over 12 months. Just
0: over 12 months. How has the transition gone from big business to small business for you? Uh, And what's been the biggest challenges?
1: Yeah it's interesting like moving from being in the corporate world to owning your own business all of a sudden there's all these new things that I have to learn and do which has been really exciting and enjoyable but you wear all the hats so you know you become the marketer and the office coordinator and the receptionist and the um so while I've really confident in my abilities to deliver the work and do amazing work for my clients. It's all of the other things that surround that in running your own business. And as you would know, one of the big things for me is pitching for work. So my natural style is to be a bit of a, um, have more of kind of an influencing style. I don't tend to be Too forthright with people. And when I'm in an organisation, that's fine because I'm in there, I can see where the challenges are, I can influence people and leaders to get to the work that I think we need to do. When you're not in an organisation and you've got to make a pitch or prepare a proposal or explain to them what you think you can do for them, it's just a very different way of selling your services and what you can offer. So I think that's been the biggest learning for me. But I think you know, holistically in my career, having more of this um, sort of commercial view of things has actually been really enjoyable.
0: Yeah. And I think you've done amazingly well. I mean, you say you've got trouble with pitching, but actually I don't think you do.
1: (laughs) You've got more work coming out of you than than we really need. (laughs) Maybe it's just confidence in doing it. It's practice. Practice makes perfect.
0: It is practice. I think it is practice. What would you say for someone who's sitting here thinking and they're sitting in people and culture and maybe they're a HR director, there's so many women creating side gigs and wanting to get out of corporate and wanting to do their own thing. If someone's sitting here listening to our conversation thinking, do I, don't I, what pieces of advice would you give? Maybe your top three tips for if they're thinking about it.
1: Yeah, I think think about what's the enjoyment you get out of the role that you do. So running a consultancy is different to working in business. You're not working with a team around you as much. You know, yes, I pull in other consultants to work with from time to time, but you're more of a solo operator. So, how do you like to work with a team? Most people in people and culture are partnering with people and like that relationship. You can still do that, but it's in a different capacity. So get really clear on what it is that you enjoy about your work and whether consulting will deliver on that. Because I also know people that have gone into consulting and done it for 12 months and then gone, oh, this is just not for me. I'm going back to, going back to a business. If you decide that consulting is for you, then I think you've just got to know that it's a big jump and a learning period. But if you're resourceful and you're happy to put yourself out there, it'll work. Our world of people and culture is very relationship based, both when you're a consultant and internal. So you've got those sort of core skills, even if you like, so I didn't think I had those sort of business development skills, but I think that was really a mindset shift for me in recognising that I actually do have them. They just maybe don't look like a traditional sales skill set, but actually that works really well for how I work with people.
0: Yeah. I think how you relate to people is part of the, I mean- People don't like talking about sales, right? But I think if we're in service and you're always in service to your clients, it's so obvious to me that you're always in service to your clients. You go above and beyond. You do extra bits and pieces. You take phone calls when you don't really need to. (laughs) You know, there's so much that you do. Why do you think people jump out of a big business, go consulting for maybe 12 months and hate it and go back? Is it sales that bothers them, do you think?
1: Yeah, I think it's that mindset around sales and feeling like you're pitching as opposed to that sort of influencing and partnering. I also think it's having a team around you. So I know some people really miss that, feeling like you're sort of ingrained in a team of people. You can problem solve together. You can workshop things. You can bounce ideas off someone. And just having that sort of community of support. There are other ways to facilitate that, of course. I think the other thing that some people don't like about consulting is, While I've talked a lot today about strategy and how we deliver on an organisational strategy and aligning behind that, when you're a consultant, you sort of dip in and dip out. So, you come in and you do a piece of work and then you go out again and then you might get invited back in at another time to come and do another piece of work. But you often don't see an entire strategy from start to finish in terms of developing it to delivering it, you know, three or four years later, you might deliver a particular program. Or a piece of work, and that's really satisfying. But if you're looking for delivering that kind of long term strategic plan from end to end, you don't get that when you're consulting.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. That's a really good point. It's kind of like when I'm coaching. We use a video messaging app, which you know about, which is called Marco Polo. And people will Marco Polo me and go, hey, Emma, I've got this issue and we, we kick the issue around and then I never know what happens next because <laughs> they forget to round back to me. It's kind of like that, right, where you look like, oh, yeah, I've got this thing, we pop it in, and then they don't necessarily need you anymore. I could imagine that that would be frustrating.
1: And I think some of that is also staying connected with your clients. So I have some clients that I love to work with and I always stay connected with them to just, you know, ask for an update. How'd you go with that? What's that looking like? Any challenges? We'd just love to hear what you're up to. And I like that from a staying connected with people perspective. And I think that also helps with um, staying connected as to where they're up to and how they're progressing that then when a need does arise, they come back for more help. (laughs)
0: Yeah, it's perfect. It's just about keeping connection up, isn't it? It is, totally. I'm the same. I like keeping connected, even if that we've finished coaching or it's been a little while between sessions, I'm like, hey, what's going down? So I think people just want to know that you care.
1: Yep, absolutely. And I think that's a big piece. And I think you know that you care and you're there to help and support and sort of help them drive forward, whatever it is that they're doing
0: beautiful thank you julia thank you so much for insight if anyone's listening out there and they're thinking about consulting or they need a consultant or they're sitting there thinking oh how do i do this get in touch with julia she would love to have a chat she's very generous with her time so thank you so much for joining us on tea with the queen
1: thanks so much for having me em it's been great
0: Thanks for listening to Tea with the Queen. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It really does help to get the word out. For more about me, please visit emmaqueen.com.au and I look forward to your company next episode.
1: Goodbye. Thank you for coming.